1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. What's going on, y'all? It's your host, Will, coming back for a new episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. On today's episode, we are going to be bringing on Mr. Keith Bean. Now, for those of you that may or may not know Keith, we're going to get his story on here, get his background on here. But primarily, we're going to be talking to Keith about something that he had a pretty big hand in back in the day. Now, what we know today as the pop-up blind or the hub blind, Keith had a pretty big hand in being one of the first folks to bring that style of blind to the outdoors, to the outdoor industry, to the hunters, all of us. So we're going to get Keith on here to talk about that, talk about a story. We'll go down a couple rabbit holes as well. That's what we always do here on the Hunt Stand Podcast. And so, again, y'all, we just want to thank y'all for tuning in to the Hunt Stand Podcast. you got lots of different options out there. We really appreciate all the support we've gotten from everybody so far. And all the listens and downloads has been amazing. We know the holidays are here. Christmas is coming up. So we just want to wish all of you from the Hunt Stand family a very Merry Christmas to you and your family. And so, again, y'all just want to thank you for the support. And here's our man, Keith Bain. All right, everybody. Well, we want to welcome you back to another episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. And on today's episode, we got Mr. Keith Beam on here. And we're going to dive into his story a little bit. And I'm going to let him tell it. I'm not going to tell it because he can do a much better job than I can. But Keith, (laughs) welcome to the podcast, man. Well, (laughs) thank you. I do have a face for radio, so this is perfect. Hey, I've been been told the same thing since I was a kid. So, Keith, man, one of the things I like to do to get all of our podcasts started is I like for the guest to give the listeners a little bit of a background story on yourself. And I call it, you know, giving us that 30 foot tree stand view of who you are. So, you know, kind of give us that, you know, that 30,000 foot view, if you will, you know, kind of tell us okay. who you are, where you're from and kind of how you've gotten to where you are in life now. All right. It's, it's uh, it's a crazy route. Um, I come from a very outdoors family, two older brothers in an army ranger father and a real outdoors mom and, uh, went to college to play baseball, uh, play pro baseball. When I got uh, injured in baseball and I had to resign or, or do involuntary retirement, I went back to school, finished up, started working for a company called WW Granger right out of college, mm-hmm. met Brooks Johnson, who became my business partner at Double Bowl Archery. And him and I started playing around with dart targets. See, everybody thinks Double Bowl Archery was originally uh, the hunting blinds. And even though that's their mainstay, 
the double bowl actually came from him and I playing all the games of cricket and 301 with our recurves on these paper uh, dart targets. And we kind of built those and we were selling those. Well, I ran into this older gentleman uh, by the name of Steve Stumbo. And it was in Colorado in probably 1991. Okay. And okay. I had been chasing turkeys with my recurve along the river bottoms in Nebraska because they give you that three-week archery season. I had been chasing it with my recurve. Um, some success, not very much, getting busted a lot. And at that time, back in 1992, 90, well, actually like 91, 92, uh, there was not any real true commercial ground blinds. There was one by an, a guy out in Iowa who carries the first name Keith, as I do. It's really ironic. He had a blind that you threw this barge rope up over a limb. You pulled this big, big, big piece of fabric dome, and you put all these fiberglass rods in it. Uh, you couldn't move it. Uh, it didn't pop up or pop down. I mean, you were there for a long time. But mm. I ended up killing my first two turkeys out of that blind. And I was telling Brooks, uh, I was out in uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. And Brooks was back in Minneapolis where we started working at Granger. I said, I, I really want to design a ground blind. And we played around with the spring steel blinds long before even Ameristep was Ameristep. And, and I met that Steve Stumbo had an archery shop in Fort Collins. And he showed me uh, a hub prototype, the hub. It was whittled out of wood, had 38 casings for its ferrules, and had uh, also wood dowel rods. Hmm. And I uh, realized right then and there that this might make a very, very fast setup uh, structure. And we bought the patent rights off of him or paid him royalties and bought those off of him um, for all those years. But lo and behold, that's what started Double Bowl Archery. And it started in Colorado, moved to Minnesota in 1997. And in 2007, uh, Brooks and I sold it to Primos hunting calls we were a sponsor of their show and they were a sponsor of our television show uh, that was back when the men's channel was there and the sportsman uh, we had double bowl outdoors so we sold to primos we came over onto primos aside I, I ran around the country with those guys for many years um, i became the executive producer of jay Gregory's wild outdoors also during that time frame. And then I launched a kid's book line called Drake's Adventures. And that's that interactive sound book. And that was in 2015. I chased that little avenue there. And in 2017, I designed a couple new broadheads, presented them to new archery products in Forest Park, Illinois. And I went to work for them full time and GSM acquired new archery products. So in 2017, I came over to the GSM umbrella, which was really fun because my first business card had seven brands on the back of it. And now I believe there's 65 logos on it. And that's just from 2017 till now. So I, I was giving you more like the 3000 foot look. And then all of a sudden I got tied up with GSM and it was like we pointed straight up in the sky and, and we took Artemis North. Hey, yeah. that, that's what podcasts are for, man. We can go down rabbit holes and we can do that if we want. There, there's no there's no set schedule on these <laughs> things. That's what I like about podcasting. No, it's, it's great. I mean, it's it's been an absolute crazy thing. And now I really do most of the cold steel videos. Uh, I get to work with Lynn Thompson. I've never I was never a knife person. Um, I had one little custom hunting knife I carried my whole life. 
um, my, an old knife maker made for me a long, long time ago. And now, uh, after training with Lynn and, and being a part of the Cold Steel family, I get to demonstrate how mean those products are, but how useful they are, and and have a lot of fun uh, doing it. So I, I can't even tell you, it's not really a full circle. It's like I'm just done this gigantic arc, and inside that arc is most of your outdoors hub. Yep, yep. So... That's pretty cool, man. And how old are you now? 29? Yes. 57. Really? 58. Yeah, I'll turn 58. This is my, um, I, I want to say, uh, let's see, I think this is my 31st year in the hunting industry as a career. Okay. Okay. I would never guess uh, that. Yeah. No, I know. I look 29. There you go. So... <laughs> Man, one of the things I want to get you that I wanted to talk to you about was the hub style blinds and how they've revolutionized the way people hunt. I mean, you know, I would say back when I was a kid, a lot of it was box blind hunting, tree stands, ladder stands, tripods. But then when these hub style blinds came out, I mean, tell us, tell us about the movement. And once y'all, you know, after you've bought this patent and things just start going in motion, like tell us how that happened and just kind of what went down. Well, it actually, it was really funny. We, we didn't know how to sew Brooks, neither Brooks nor I. And we hired a wonderful woman out there in Colorado to help us sew this prototype. And we were, um, two divorcees because well we decided to chase double bull archery which is the dart target thing full blast well neither of our wives really cared for that being an executive people from ww granger and then all of a sudden you're going to sell dart targets for a quarter uh neither of those marriages went well so we actually um lived in the back of an archery shop on uh, two air mattresses and it's on the back side of the shooting lanes and this is no lie we had uh, running water was in the sink, and we would stand up on the toilet, dump a, a Pyrex jar of water over you and shower that way. Um, we lived, Bruce and I actually lived, and this is Man. no lie, lived off of tuna and rice <laughs> for about two years. We uh, finally had enough money, we could join a health club there, <laughs> and we could work out seven days a week so we could shower seven days a week. But we we spent 18 months in the back of an archery shop, fabricating blinds one at a time. How and old were you? Seven, um, I was 30 years old Man. and Brooks was 28. Um, like I said, both divorces and it was, it was actually probably, if I look back on it now, one of the greatest experiences in the world, because we went from being execs at, at Granger, having money, you know, having a nice house, nice vehicle, so on and so forth, to absolutely learning how to shoot a recurve so well, you could bet people in the archery shop, these compound shooters, and you would bet them who could hit the head on the dollar bill down there 20 yards to win money. Um, and, and that's how we that's how we paid for our life and it was really fun and it hadn't really grown it was just like we'd sell one we'd get another one we'd start another one we'd sell it okay and it wasn't like we could ever start any kind of production and we could never buy uh fabric in any kind of big bulk because we didn't have the cash for it and we didn't have the orders for it mm -hmm. brooks found a guy in nebraska bow hunters archie arndt 
and he somehow or another talked Brooks into sending him one blind and he took it to the Nebraska bow hunters banquet and we got a phone call on Sunday night and it was Archie and he said I sold 27 of these blinds and we wow. were like it takes us like a day and a half to sew one and these are all and this is in March okay March 3rd and their season starts March 27th for archery so we had to scramble find fabric borrow money beg money um we borrowed money off of everybody in the world uh we took credit cards and maxed them out on our own credit card machine just so we could deposit money in the bank so we could buy fabric and it was this crazy thing that we we got some people sewing with us and we actually got all those orders out of course when those orders got out that was the first pop-up commercial ground line and people waylaid the daylights out of turkeys and that just started the ball rolling. Um, we moved the business to Minnesota. And when we did that, uh, we leased a place and we outgrew it. We leased another place, outgrew it. We built a building or bought a building and basically outgrew that. It was probably the fastest growing segment. If, if you were to put kind of a comparison to it, if you think about like when Matthew's solo cam took off, mm -hmm. uh, that was us. It was every year we were growing at 100% or 65% was the lowest we ever grew. Wow. Okay. You, you, I mean, you're talking about numbers that just were astronomical. And we had to get tied up with the big capital company uh, in a company that we trusted. And Primos was that. So we um, finally sold to Will. He'd been trying to buy us for a few years. But we finally sold and they uh, they took over that. So um, it, it was absolutely crazy how we look at what you've got today and you look at how simple things are. And we always say it's getting complicated and we're so busy and blah, blah, blah. And we are. We go 100 miles an hour, but we're, we're our own problem. Yeah. I remember staying on an air mattress with no TV and a Pyrex jar. We had a two-quart Pyrex jar, uh, one-minute rice, and a stack of tuna and pepper. We had pepper. And uh, we survived off of that um, until this thing got going. And what, it's crazy. What made, you know, you're working at this job where you're saying, you know, you've got the money, you got the car, you got the house. You know, where and when did you decide to just, change all of that and do this like i mean that, that's a big jump that's a big risk you know how did you how did you know to do it well it was it was um, a very interesting thing and i don't i don't mean to play to people's heartstrings um that last year of ww granger um my son died and my only child he died of cancer and so I'm sitting there not really understanding the world as it was. Uh, my heart and soul were into shooting my recurve. And here was this giant company I was working for. And I just kind of felt like, F it, I'm going to do this. And <laughs> um, we started the dart targets while we were still uh, just finishing Granger, I guess. Yeah. And um, Brooks and I both left. And, and said, let's go for it. Once I met Steve with this, this hub idea, and we were going to sell dart targets and try to get this blind thing going. But it was both of us were just tired of what was there as far as the corporate world. And they were a great company to work for, um, a fantastic company to work for. But we, we both 
wanted to you, you wanted it's like people that love to fish you want to fish yeah you know and everybody wishes they could fish for money and uh i mean there's a lot of country songs written about it and it, it's one of those things that we didn't know how we were going to do it but damn it bricks and i together were going to make a living uh out of a hunting blind and dart target company and y'all did exactly that Oh, it was it was it was a trying, trying, trying state of affairs. Uh, we went from uh, having two vehicles, nice vehicles, to we sold those. We bought a 1977 four-wheel drive, full-time four-wheel drive Suburban that was like solid steel, and it, it had a like a 454 in it, and it got like four miles a gallon. But we paid five hundred dollars for it. And believe it or not, we drove that thing. We shared it. We drove that thing for the first three years. In fact, we drove it from uh, Fort Collins, Colorado, down to Houston, San Antonio, and Dallas for the Texas Trophy Hunter shows. Had no air conditioning in it. And you're in those three communities uh, in the summer, which is always nice in a big, hot vehicle. And uh, we had a load of blinds in the back. And we drove around and sold them. (laughs) Man. Y'all were y'all were hustling them, man. Y'all are getting them out the door. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, if you were shy about anything, by the time we came out of our eighteen month adventure of living on air mattresses, uh, those days were over. All right, y'all. We are going to interrupt this podcast from a quick word from our sponsors. The Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Yamaha and its full line of class defining, adventure seeking motorcycles, ATVs, and side by side vehicles. The Unstand Podcast is also brought to you by Springfield Armory, past, present, and future since 1794. All right, y'all, that's it from our sponsors, and we're going to get right back to this episode of the Stand Podcast. Yeah. You know, I, I, I want to back up just a little bit. You know, you had a very tragic event happen in your life, man, and I'm, I'm terribly sorry to hear about that. You know, uh, hmm. I, I couldn't imagine, and so... You know, you you have this happen in your life, and you know I, I think everybody has a lot of things that happen to them. You know, nobody's is more serious than the others. You know, or nobody's is better right. than the others. You know, everybody has their own things that they go through. But you had that happen, and then you know what kept you from just stopping? You know, just going through the everyday motions and. You know, what kept you from doing that and then just waking up and saying like you did, you know, F it, let's do this? Well, I, I think you hit it right on the, the nose. Um, I, I think when you said what kept you from stopping it, that's really truly what stopped it. It was um, Karen, my wife at that time, uh, when Ellis died, we just decided after his service, his burial service, um, we decided just to drive and take off and we drove through the badlands of south dakota through the black hills everywhere we just drove and i think it was then that i realized that uh, my love for the outdoors my brothers were giant waterfowl and pheasant hunters my dad was um, i didn't really take up bow hunting until college but we were always outside and uh, you know baseball was supposed to be my career and it would have been had i not had stress fractures in my legs Mm -hmm. but um, I, I had to be outside and it's one of those things that I, I think when my son died, it became very apparent to me that you, you get one shot and, you know, at that time, you know, I didn't have other children and it was, you know, 
whatever, I, I could leave and try other things. And I was young enough, I could try other things. And I, I think it was that time that I said, F it, I'm going after this. I'm doing something out here. And I think it was on that drive that, that I recall it. In fact, we stopped, I can't remember where it's at, South Dakota, uh, Terry Redland's um, uh, Fins and Feathers Art Gallery or whatever. I can't remember the name of it. It was a whole bunch of years ago. Um, but it was out there and, and I remember looking at these paintings and, and, you know, been hunting with my brother, um, uh, in North Dakota, goose hunting, probably for 10 or 15 years by that time. Uh, he was a full-time waterfowl guide up in North Dakota. So he chased them through North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, and Kansas. And then when they offered the spring season backwards and came up. So I, I hunted with my brother so much, it was frightening. And it was just one of those things that I had to breathe fresh air. And I think being a cubicle boy or a branch manager, a regional manager, and flying around in a jet and uh, always sitting inside just wasn't going to cut it for me. What do you say to the guy that is going through something in their life right now that, you know, they're kind of on that 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 teeter-totter line that, you know, they're on the edge of like, man – I've got something that I'm really good at in life or something that I'm a passionate about. And I just, I, I, I can't do it. I don't know what to do. Like, what do you say to that guy? Well, I think Warren Buffett and, and you can look at Zig Ziglar, you can look at a lot of these people that are super, super successful. I mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. find something that you love or like a lot and, and give it your all. Now you might change careers. You might do things. But if you do not take a risk, and I'm not telling everybody that comes up with a brainiac idea to to do it, you got to understand, we timed it perfectly. There was, there might have been one commercial ground blind um, on the market. There was none in Cabela's or Bass Pro, so we were the first commercial ground blind. So that that tells you how timing is everything. Um, it, it was very easy for us to explode. I mean, and nobody could catch us. Uh, we were innovative. We were bow hunters. Uh, and, and our bow hunters. We didn't worry about gun hunting because we knew if you can bow hunt out of it, you could gun hunt out of it. But we developed patterns, we developed designs, we did things that didn't spook deer. We figured out a lot of things and we listened to a lot of people. Um, everybody from Jay Gregory to, you know, whoever, uh, Jim Miller down in Texas. And, and we truly listened to these people that are very well respected. And it was one of those things that we learned a lot. And it was one. The, I, I won't trade for anything. In fact, I, I love it if somebody wrote a book about our story because it's absolutely a crazy, crazy journey. But if you've got an idea and it's real and, and don't ask your friends and don't ask your family members if they think it's a good idea, take it to a group of people you don't know and do your elevator pitch, I guess you would say. You know, okay, you're sitting in an elevator, you meet three people and you've got two fours to explain the idea to them. Explain the idea to them and see if they bite on it. And if they do, do some more elevator pitches to people you don't know. But people that are in the industry, that's fine. But people you don't know, because the worst thing that you can ever have happen, and it kind of happened with the kids' book, is everybody around me loved it. And everybody that bought the books loved it as well. But nobody tried to talk me out of it. And it ended up costing me about three-quarters of a million dollars uh, in loss. Yeah, yeah, it cost me a farm, um, you know, sell the house, things like that, just so you didn't go bankrupt and you paid off your debt like you're supposed to do. So, you know, I did that. But you, you've you got to ask people 
um, if you have an idea and I get people calling all the time like, hey, I got this great idea and this, this and this. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't you just do that? And I'm not trying to be a, a dink to them. You know, yeah. I'm I'm just I see something. I'm very creative. I, I have my name on a whole gob of patents. And I, I can see when things make sense and I can go, holy cow, that's a great idea. And I, I get calls a lot and I, I feel like sometimes I'm a jerk, but I don't ever mean to be. I, you know, my dad always taught me to be a very kind human. And it, it's one of those things that sits true with me. So when I go, <laughs> you know, this this isn't going to work. You're not going to sell very many of these, um, you know, it, it's it. But I don't have all the answers. And that's why you have to ask people. A very good friend of mine has a product that goes off the side of the boat that you can put a camera on. So it'll run right alongside your trolling motor and, and you can see it. Really? I would have bet that it wouldn't sell. That man can't keep them in stock. He can't find enough people to help him build them. So, you know, my barometer is not always the right one. And but I wasn't in the fishing industry and he was. And uh, he's like up. So the, the, nobody can really take you away from your dream. But if you don't dip your foot in it or try it, uh, you're going to live with regret. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. I know. I don't think I've told this story much, but, you know, I had a little bit of a stint in the outdoor industry myself working for Wade Middleton back in the day. Then I kind of took a little jog to the right. You know, I was young enough to test stuff. And then uh, came back and worked in an archery shop for a little bit, managing an archery shop. And I, I tell my wife to this day, I let a customer talk me out of managing that archery shop into selling windows. Don't ask me what made me do it, but I did it. And I have told her, I, I've, I've told her to this day, I said, if I wouldn't have taken that chance of doing something different, I may not have ever left that archery shop to lead yep. me to my path where I am now. Right. Yep. And well, that, that's just it. People are, people are always scared to dip that foot outside the box. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it's like this cold steel world, you know, Eddie and Ben were kind enough when I interviewed with them, when they, when they procured uh, NAP or new archery products to give me a chance and, and get me on board. And it was through that, that we did, all kinds of content creation. I think I told you, you know, I, I really truly work for all the brands. Yeah. And when we purchased uh, Cold Steel, Lynn Thompson has this YouTube page that's, you know, 1.1 million subscribers. And these guys are crazy, great sword knife fanatics that, you know, have a love for steel and they understand it. It's the Forge of Fire people. And Lynn has built this gigantic following. Um, so when I had an opportunity to go out and train with Lynn, who's like an eight-time world champion hand-to-hand -hand combat fighter in the Philippines, I mean, Lynn Thompson, Ron Balicki, and Luke, Fon Luke, Luke LaFontaine, those three guys I got to meet out there, are the quietest people that you'd ever meet and probably the meanest you'll ever sit around. And in, in all fairness, I mean, frightening, scary. Um, but they took me in their wings and they taught me and I learned all about steel and I learned about handles and I learned about different blade styles and shape, shapes and why it was designed that way. And, you know, I, I'm 57 and I started with cold steel when I was 55. So this is my second year and it's teaching an old dog lots of new tricks, um, which is a blast to me. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I think I think that's super key. But yeah, like like you said, you I think a lot of people just they have to uh they just have to not be afraid to dip that toe outside the box and and just go and just go. So yeah. Well, Keith, that's, that's, yes. What kind of hunt you been doing this year, man? Like tell us, you know, I I'm, I'm interested to hear like, you know, you've been bow hunting a lot, deer hunting. Let's let's hear how your deer hunting action is right now, man. I went out to Wyoming uh, 25 years, 24 years. I've hunted with Nelson Outfitters, one of my very dearest friends and family members, basically. Um, great place to deer hunt. Got out there, and there is a disease, and they, they, they can't classify it CWD, and they can't classify it EHD because what's dying looks healthy. Um, which takes it away from the quote unquote CWD, mm-hmm. but uh, mm-hmm. the EHD usually when deer die, uh, buzzards don't eat it, coyotes don't eat it, and these deer are getting eaten. So they don't have an answer for it. Anyhow, right before my eyes, uh, there was probably 2,000 deer on the 100,000 acres that Dave had irrigated alfalfa. Uh, they come off the foothills, and by the time I left, there was like 47. Uh, the five deer that we were targeting. Uh, Dave spotted four of them dead uh, on my last night out there, and I left there first time unsuccessful. Um, and, and I, you know, talked to the DNR and I've done the survey and I've done this. And they had an emergency meeting out there because your outfitters and your guys it's happening all over. Yeah, you used to share it in Wyoming, and you would see turkeys and you would see deer and you see young mule deer bedded under people's trucks in the shade. Holy there's God. none. There, there's no deer. There's no turkeys. Um, and it was frightening and, and it really is scary. It just goes to show you that mother nature is a bitch. And when she wants to control things, she will, mm-hmm. but that's how my season started. Um, thankfully, uh, Dave Nelson's son, Steve Nelson, uh, purchased the Valley meat company. So I was able to take all the cold steel commercial knives out there and show them, our line, which they fell in love with, videotape and get a lot of great footage of, you know, how it is processing 8,000 pounds of beef a day. So it was a blessing for cold steel. And then um, after that, I've hunted a few days in Wisconsin. Um, I did just get back from Texas down at McCray Outdoors. Okay. Uh, Kenny McCray was the best, best man in my wedding. I've hunted with him for about 25 years also. Um, I, I got to go down there and uh, I killed a, a really nice 10 pointer. I um, saw that. It was, it, it was a fun cat and mouse game. I mean, you know, in Texas, you hunt feeders, all right? And and I don't want to catch grief from anybody. I love it. I think it's great. You know, face the feeder. Don't be afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's how you hunt them down there. It's how you hunt bears and, you know, you bait bears up in Canada. Who cares? Yep. Yep. It's legal and it's, it's, you know, ethical and that's how they do it. But we played cat and mouse because of a north wind for three or four nights um, trying to get in front of the steer that was going from feed location to feed location to feed location, running up and down this river. The rut was in full pre-rut. They're chasing everywhere. Okay, so deer weren't like lining up to the feeders. In fact, my wife hunted three days. I hunted one night. Uh, So in that six, seven sets, we probably had five deer, seven deer come to the feeder. Wow. Okay. They'd show up near it and then a little bucks would chase them off and stuff like that. It was crazy. Yep. But we played cat and mouse, cat and mouse. And I was finally able to take a hub style blind uh, because of a very strong north wind and pop it up next to this old rag blind that was there and hunt a north wind. And Kenny filmed him and I filmed him. Uh, but Kenny was up 
in, in one of the muddy towers and he filmed him from like 600 yards away chasing these two does and they just worked their way over and he came up and took over this whole area and ran everything off and, and gave me a great shot and it was it was really really um kind of a fun like the, i i met the challenge for texas and being able to set a blind up same day uh hunt it the same day well i set it up that night before and uh you know hunt it within 24 hours not brushing it in, just playing the wind, right? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, everything just unfolded perfectly. So <laughs> that, that's all the hunting I've done so far. Uh, I do have Wisconsin season, but right now we are in the gun season there, and I have lots of editing to do. So I'm right there yeah. with you, brother. Just right there with you. We got a lot of stuff coming down the pipeline. So excited about that. So, well, man, I know I know we're running out of time here, and so I like to close off each of these episodes. You know. For for the sake of this episode, you know, we've we've talked about, you know, your story, how you took a chance, how you took a risk, and it ended up being a great rewarding risk, you know, like it rewarded you in the end. And so what I like for the guest to do is to kind of leave a listener with that one last golden nugget in pertaining to that. So, you know, what's what's that last piece of advice you have for the listeners out there that are looking for something in their life to change or they are trying to go after something themselves. They just, they don't have the courage to do it yet. I think, I think uh, everybody wants to live a full life. Um, my family is a little bit different. We want to live life to the fullest. And that, I, I think if you take that away and you ponder that, which I just said, uh, it'll make a lot of sense to you. And uh, I learned that from my oldest brother, and he gave it all he had all the time and never looked back. Uh, love people, treat them with respect, ask for respect, demand respect, and, and be kind to people. But seriously, live life to the fullest. Don't worry about living 100 years old. Those are some great words to end it on, man. Great words. Keith, appreciate your time today and hopping on the Hunt Stand podcast. You got an Instagram or anything that people can find you at? I don't know any of my social media, so I'm sorry. No. No worries, man. No worries there. <laughs> well, Keith, brother. I'm going to get fired for that. No, That's you awesome. won't. No, you won't. <laughs> well, Keith, brother, man, I really appreciate you hopping on the Hunt Stand podcast today. <laughs> Godspeed. Take care. All right, y'all, there you go. Another end to another good episode. We got Mr. Keith Beam on here to talk about the hub style blind or the pop-up blind, his story, background, rabbit holes. We did it all on today's episode. And again, y'all, if you haven't downloaded the HuntStand app, make sure you do. We've got a free version. We got the pro version. And if you want to unlock all the tools and features, make sure you upgrade to Pro Whitetail today if you haven't. And again, y'all, we just want to thank y'all for tuning in to the HuntStand podcast, and we'll see you on the next one.
think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment.